This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to The Drill Down. We've got business stories behind stocks that a move. I'm Corey Johnson with, with episode number 195. Well, just ahead, Shutterstock talks artificial intelligence. And the cockroach theory hurts Nutanix. And maybe artificial intelligence is new to you, but Yext has been investing in AI for at least four years, big time. But now is it the time for it to pay off? We're going to ask DX CEO Michael Walrath in our exclusive conversation. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. Never miss another critical event or insight ever. With ERA, customize your company watch list and track key events, mentions, filings, and more, all within an easy-to-use, customizable interface. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And there are so many ways to listen to the Drill Down podcast and any of your favorite podcast platforms. Isaac, you ready for this list? Spotify, Always. Apple Podcasts, Pandora, Stitcher, Audible, Amazon, TuneIn, iHeart, Deezer, Listen Notes, Player FM, even Podbean for some old episodes. But if you hit the subscribe button, you'll make sure to catch every show. It's so easy to just touch that little subscribe button. It's really no, it takes effort. fulfilling as well. It takes concentration. <laughs> and the, uh, the drill down is brought to you by Brain Trust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Brain Trust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com. That's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to the Drill Down Podcast. We do explain the business stories behind Stocks in a Move. Joining me as always from Los Angeles, executive producer Isaac Webster. Isaac, here I am in the glamorous San Francisco Ferry Building. Right in the heart so of the city. glamorous. Yeah. Are we on the edge of the city? The heart? I don't know. I was, I was talking to someone today about the doing this show from the Ferry Building, from Shack 15 in the Ferry Building every every week. And, and uh, I was like, you know, you watch Monday Night Football, you watch the Warriors on, on uh, ESPN, you watch uh, any TV show, and there's always like this drone or helicopter shot of them going by the ferry yeah. building. That's where we are, right in the belly yeah, of the Yeah, look at you, right in, the, right in the middle of all of it. And uh, you can look at LA and there I am. <laughs> right smack in the middle of it. Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? Let's start with Squarespace. I don't think we've ever talked about this company before. Yeah. Squarespace, um, this is a blast from the past in my mind. Uh, trades under SQSP. SQSP, Squarespace shares have risen 18% since the start of 2023, and they're higher by 5% if you look at a year chart. So what's going on with Squarespace? It's about a $4 billion company with about $900 million in sales, rounding up in both cases a little bit. But they reported a quarter that gave us a chance to look at this company, the company probably best known for helping uh, uh, small businesses create websites, create e-commerce sites. They reported revenue uh, in their quarter was up, uh, uh, the most recent quarter, the fourth quarter, uh, up 10% from the year before, 14% in constant currency. 
to 220, call it 230 million dollars. Uh, they lost almost that amount of money uh, on a, from an accounting basis, not a cash basis. Um, adjusted, their loss uh, was you know uh, about 16 million dollars. So the business is still losing money, uh, but growing nicely. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, they took a big impairment charge. That's why the, the actual net loss is so much bigger because they bought an online reservations company called Talk, and they're writing a lot of that off. But without that charge, uh, again, their loss, I, I misspoke, their loss is about $9 million, uh, about half of what it had been the year before. Bookings were shockingly strong. But what was interesting to me was a conversation uh, on the quarterly conference call from CEO Anthony Casalina, when he asked about uh, AI and artificial intelligence, you know, these guys are trying to figure out how to build these sites for small businesses better, how they can create content, something Isaac, you and I do all the time on this show, but how they can create content of, of any kind, visual content, um, uh, uh, words for people to read, useful things, perhaps using the tools of AI and how AI might change their business, help them grow their business because it would help creators of content create it more quickly more easily. So it was very interesting to hear CEO Anthony Casalena talk about artificial intelligence and how that might help grow this business faster and whether there are indeed strangers to AI. Here's Anthony Casalena. We're no stranger to uh, AI and have been following developments related to it for probably eight or nine years now, um, eight or nine years ago, we had smaller competitors that, you know, tried to really differentiate by making essentially like a Squarespace clone, but starting with AI. And I think what we've sort of found through that process is that AI is best used to augment tools like Squarespace and, 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 and help with, in, in our case, a lot of the initial setup, not necessarily do the entire thing and pretend that Square, tools like Squarespace don't exist. For instance, you know, ChatGPT doesn't replace Microsoft Word. You still need the tool, even if they're going to pre-populate it with a really nice starting point in terms of um, initial content. So as we've moved along, you know, we've seen startups, was, I'm referencing something for eight years ago now, um, to other competitors, you know, integrating it to their setup process. And that's really where we're focused right now, to take things like Dolly, ChatGPT, and help people with sort of what we call the content not ready problem. So when you start a Squarespace website, the biggest reason why people don't sign up is content not ready. So if in, every time you're presented with a blank text box or you're presented with a blank image field, you know, if we can give you an AI solution for that, um, that is something we will absolutely uh, do and we're currently working on it. Uh, you mentioned actually a, a customer service chatbot uh, implementation as well. We actually have uh, had a AI assisted chatbot for, don't quote me on the exact amount of time now, but I think over two or three years um, helping with customer support, uh, and, and, and that's been really successful for us, too, in improving the efficiency in customer operations. So, yeah, we're, it's nothing, uh, we're, it's, it's definitely not something new to us, and I think tools like us are going to be in a fantastic position to capitalize on um, what, what's available in AI, because, again, you're going to need a, a platform to run the business, to edit the site, to make changes. It can't just be kind of a AI card trick. Isaac, have you uh, played with this Doll E at all? This uh, I'm, I know you've used some Chat GPT, but this Doll E that creates images. I haven't personally played with it, but I've seen the results of it, and I'm not sure exactly what AI platform I saw created this. But just last night, I was watching this um, quote video of AI Britney Spears singing a Madonna song, 
And it was uncanny. It was like, it, it, it was the video image of her. It was a video really? image of Britney Spears. And it, but it was Britney's voice singing this Madonna song. It was actually really good. Like, I'm like, oh, I would like to add this to my Spotify playlist. And like, see, I would have wanted to see if I could get uh, a Warren Buffett AI to say the words of Elon Musk or something ridiculous. <laughs> That's just me. At first I thought, is me. this one of those deep fakes? You know, I mean, it was, it was, uh, it was very interesting. I mean, um, I don't know, as AI has advanced so much uh, as far as outfacing consumer technology is concerned over the past year. It's just incredible. Well, we, uh, we, we were preparing for a, a future podcast with a company that's um, doing some genetically modifi modified crops. And mm -hmm. I went on Dali to ask it to illustrate these crops, what, they, what it might look like if you perhaps blended a soybean with a sunflower. I sent you the results uh, yesterday, I think, or a couple of days ago. Yeah. Um, and, and they were fantastic. And I thought, well, yep. this would be a good illustration for a, for a tweet on our, on our uh, Drill Down Pod Twitter account. Listeners, please follow Drill Down Pod on Twitter. But uh, it was, it's, it's interesting what's possible and what that might mean for creators creating content, which indeed is exactly what we're doing right now and how that could be good business for Squarespace. You know, just another little AI moment. I mean, just this week, there was the news about AI helping doctors uh, detect breast cancer where human doctors have been unable to, you know, it's just uh, the, po the possibilities are sort of endless. Corey, what is your next drill down? Let's look at Nutanix. We've had these guys on, haven't we? We have, we have. I, Nutanix, uh, yeah, uh, NTNX. Uh, shares are basically flat since the start of 2023, and they've, but they've gained 12% over the past 12 months. So what is new with Nutanix? Well, importantly, the stock took, a, a, at least they had a haircut this week after reporting earnings uh, because they couldn't report earnings. They couldn't report their expenses. They announced an and internal investigation uh, into their own accounting. Uh, so uh, back up a minute. So Nutanix, enterprise cloud platform, they've got sort of a software, a bunch of software stack that does a bunch of things, virtualization, storage, network services. Um, uh, but the problem is they were using some other software that did more than they expected. And that was a problem. So they announced second quarter revenues of just short of $500 million uh, for their, their fiscal second quarter. But they didn't give profits. They didn't get bottom line results at all. Said so they couldn't follow their quarterly numbers with the SEC because they had to re-audit their own numbers there and they gave very little explanation. I'll let you hear what they said in just a minute. But they said they were using some software that was used in ways that they hadn't applied all the costs for it. It was a really strange um, uh, uh, disclosure. Specifically, they said that certain evaluation software from a third-party provider was instead used not just for evaluation, but for interoperability testing, validation, and customer proofs of concept over many years, a multi-year period, and that likely additional costs would be incurred to address the additional use of the software. So I don't know if one of their vendors came to them and said, hey, you were using our stuff more than you said you owe us, or they were recognizing revenues too quickly when they had other obligations. It, uh, it's, it's really unclear. Their days payable outstanding. Right, so the uh, that's the way you look at a company and how much they're not paying their own vendors. That number's come down a lot. They've been paying their vendors. Their days outstanding, days sales outstanding. So how quickly they're re recognizing revenues. 
those have been falling. So they haven't been really aggressive about recognizing revenues, uh, at least as, as far as their DSOs go. They just wouldn't say what was going on. They, their expenses, they they wouldn't say. They Would it would it affect uh, revenue or free cash flow? They said it, no, but that's not the issue, obviously. The issue is what are the expenses? And what is how unprofitable is this unprofitable business? And how long might it take for them to ever get profitable? So they wouldn't say when the investigation started. They wouldn't say when they discovered the problem. They wouldn't say how long the investigation was going to go. And when the CEO was asked about the conference call, well, he, he quickly passed the buck to the CFO. Here is the CFO of Nutanix, Rukmini Siviraman, talking about what they discovered and when they discovered it, or maybe not talking about it much at all. So what we discovered was that certain, you know, eval software, evaluation software from uh, one of our third-party providers, so somebody who provides us software, um, which is intended for evaluation purposes, was instead used for, you know, validation, uh, interoperability testing, and proof of concepts over a multi-year period. So uh, that is, uh, was, you know, we discovered that. And, uh, and as we said on the call, that matters ongoing. Um, and because of that pendulum, uh, we weren't able to disclose, you know, expense information on the call. And we've announced that um, we expect to be unable to file our 10Q in a timely manner, given that we want to make sure this is resolved first. Now, um, I want to also provide a little bit of uh, color that we are, you know, given this, we still believe that our top line results, our free cash flow, as we reported, um, are all, um, you know, un unimpacted by this. So they think the top line results won't be affected. Well, of course, they wouldn't be affected by uh, expenses. But uh, free cash flow, that's a positive sign. They think maybe their free cash flow won't matter. But uh, it's, it's an unsettling sign and concern that maybe where there's one cockroach, there's more cockroaches, and it could be a problem for this company. Um, the analysts are kind of bullish on this stuff, but analysts are always bullish. Um, I'm worried when companies can't figure out how much money they just spent. We need, a, we need some sort of um, sound, a sound effect for a red flag. I'm not sure exactly what a red flag would sound like. Maybe an alarm bell? Not that. There's our red flag sound. We got it. <laughs> I don't know. And, you know, every time we come and we, we talk about a company like this, that's as big as Nutanix is, and they've got these accounting issues, you know, this has probably been festering for a while and it takes so many people to sign off on any sort of issue like this. So I don't know. It's very troubling, troubling news. Corey, what is your next drill down? So Corn Ferry, the, uh, the uh, well-known staffing and employment company that's sort of famous for doing big executive searches. I thought it'd be an interesting time to look at this company right now, not least of which because they just reported earnings. And Corn Ferry, uh, they are right here in my neighborhood in LA, trades under KFY, and shares have risen almost 16% since the start of 2023, but are still lower by 8% if you're looking at a 12-month chart. So what's going on with Corn Ferry? Los, Los Angeles is Corn Ferry. Um, uh, yeah, they are based in, in Los Angeles. They have been, uh, uh, the company's been around since 1969. Stock was up 6% when they announced earnings this week um, after those earnings uh, because it was a strong quarter. Their fee revenue of $681 million, um, basically flat, a little, maybe a little bit up on a constant currency basis year over year, but it's their fiscal third quarter. Um, profits of $53 million adjusted 
net income, which I think is the right number to use in this case. I'm, I'm always wary of adjusted numbers. Don't get me wrong. But I thought it was very interesting at this time when we're seeing a slowdown in the economy, when we're seeing some companies, particularly in technology, have big layoffs. What does it mean for the executive search business? And indeed, uh, as the employment picture changes, how does Corn Ferry deal with recruitment when maybe people work differently, work from home, work maybe not 50, 60 hours a week or whatever executives typically work? Um, although I guess there was some of those executives who spent a lot of time in the golf course and worked 20 hours a week. But regardless, uh, I thought it was really interesting to listen to the Corn Ferry uh, CEO, CEO, Gary Burnison, talk about uh, what recruitment looks like and who they're recruiting to what kind of roles in a new era, including post-pandemic. Here's the Corn Ferry CEO. During the pandemic, we looked around and said, how, how is the world going to change? And or, um, you know, professionals wanting more flexibility in their life. And with an aging baby boomer population, maybe people that didn't want to work full time, but still wanted to contribute uh, in meaningful ways to society. And so uh, we very purposefully said, let's, um, you know, let's go into this market. And we've taken that now from basically zero uh, to a run rate now of, uh, you know, of about $320, $330 million in the span of, of 18 months. This will be for sure a billion-dollar business for us. Uh, there's no question about it. Now, um, you know, as we, as we do that and we address these bigger markets that um, I think have proven over time to be less cyclical, than say the legacy business of executive search, the margin profile is is going to change. There's there's no doubt about it. Um, and I can have Bob, you know, Bob, you can describe the the quantitative uh, impact of that. But you know, if we get this business to a billion dollars, which we think we can, you know, and everything else were to stay the same, which it's not going to stay the same. But if it did, you know, you're probably talking two to three hundred basis points. I would think of of, uh, you know, of a margin shift. Um, but we just, you know, we really are excited about this. We're, we are seeing um, incredible levels of cross-referrals, of ways to create deeper meaning, deeper impact with clients. Um, and so I do think that overall, much like the strategy, uh, you know, when I started, I mean, this is my 84th earnings call. And you know, going back to day one, uh, the entire business was essentially executive search, and now executive search today is 31% of the company. And I think what we've demonstrated now is we've we've you know we're building a platform that has more client impact, that changes more people's lives, that enables people and organizations to be more than, and it also provides a much more stable. Uh, company for for shareholders and you can just see it in the numbers and you can see it in the new business over the last several months in, in terms of what's happening you know barring some sort of economic disaster so yeah you can see what's happening barring an economic disaster uh, that their new business really is taking off and that this recruiting for semi full-time even part-time roles is a really big business for corn ferry and they're taking advantage of those executives that have been in the game for a little bit and maybe want to work differently, but still work. 
All right, coming up next, we're talking to an interesting company that's been noodling with AI, heck, working on AI for four years and deploying it into their business without the uh, with all the expenses and maybe without all the financial results that we might have hoped for. But maybe now is the moment for AI at Yext, or is it? Whatever this CEO, Michael Walworth, joins us here on the Drill Down Podcast. The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com. That's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. Welcome back to the Drill Down Podcast. We are joined right now by Michael Walworth. He's the CEO of Yext, company based in New York City. I would say a stealthy a tech giant strong with uh, with an, uh, about 1,100 employees. But, you know, uh, you're, you're an important tech company in, in the search business and in New York City. Uh, yeah, I think we've been a little under the radar in certain ways, um, but, uh, but we've got a really strong team and a really strong business and uh, a pretty exciting opportunity ahead of us. Yeah, so much to talk about. I want to talk about the business and the opportunity. I want to talk about the changes going on at the company. Um, you took over. We, we interviewed uh, the former CEO of Yext, quite a while ago on this podcast, and, and, and I'm glad to have you on. You were chairman at that time. Um, yes. But, uh, let's just start with Yex. Yex started off as a different kind of business, I guess, working, um, uh, managing incoming phone calls for companies. Is that right? Yeah, so this goes back. So so the, the quick history here. And, I'm going and back. We're going back more than a dozen yeah, years. We're, yeah, we're going, we're going way back, yeah. So uh, so I, I actually met Howard in previous worlds, uh, uh, I, I ran a company called Right Media, which was a digital ad exchange. Uh, Howard, the former CEO. Well, I'm and sorry. Yes, founder. Howard, our for, the former CEO and founder. Uh, in a previous life, he, his company was a customer of ours. Uh, and uh, I sold that company to Yahoo and I went to work at Yahoo and he started Yext. And Yext was a paper call. It started as a gym lead company, which became a paper call marketing and transcripting company. Uh, and I invested in that. Um, and it became pretty clear a couple years in after raising a bunch of money that the market was just tiny for that. And so uh, he, he, he had this idea to pivot the company to resolve at the time, what was at the time a pretty novel problem, which was uh, managing the highly fragmented world of your local information listings. Um, and so we, we uh, I, I led a bridge round the for the company. Pages. I became the white page. I'm sorry. The white pages, the yellow pages, the old phone books. The, the digital element. Yeah. So the digi- there'd been so much ex- digital experience fragmentation that, you know, marketers couldn't, businesses who had local information couldn't figure out how to keep all their stuff up to date. And there was no good way. I mean, you were literally, uh, there were companies who required that you fax them an update in order to update your, <laughs> you know, your phone number. Um and so, uh, so we, we sold the, the old business to IAC. And you were working at Yahoo, we, which also started in its own way as a, a not very technical way to make a list of websites. Uh, you, of course, you were there much uh, later. Correct. You were there, what, in the Terry Semmel years? I was there just after Terry, yeah. So I, we sold the okay. business just as Terry was, was leaving. And uh, I ran the ad, the ad marketplaces business there, which consisted of basically operating all the, all the advertising uh, marketplaces for search and display and all the other things. Full disclosure, like most people walking the streets of San Francisco, I also am a former Yahoo employee. Well, of course. Yeah, isn't everyone? We all, we all are. It's, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> it is an amazing network um, and, and, a, and a really cool company. Obviously, 
you know, I think missed, missed some opportunities to, uh, that others found, but, uh, did a lot of great things also. So, so Yek starts uh, uh, doing this business of, of organizing listings for the online experience of telephone, whatever. And then that, but that evolved into something else completely new. Well, yeah. So, so actually that business flourished. And so the reason why that business flourished is because it was a fundamental problem. So you had people, uh, if you, if you had a business and your business had physical location, there were hundreds of places where your phone number and hours of operations and address and specials and, you know, contact information all had to be correct. And software was the right way to solve that problem, but it wasn't how it was being done. So in 2010, we pivoted the company. Uh, I had left Yahoo at that point. I was uh, enjoying some downtime. I became the chairman of Yext and Howard really led this revolution in how companies manage listings. And, and this is a really important part of it was that the fundamental approach was the creation of what we today call knowledge graph. So it was this idea that you, you, before you could distribute information, you had to structure it so that you had an understanding of, you know, what was, a, I mean, this is very rudimentary now, but at the time it wasn't what this, this thing is a phone number. This thing is a, is a list of specials. This thing is the hours of operations and you could change any one of those things and it would distribute wherever you put it. And, and we took the company public on that business. Uh, and it's, and it's done, you know, the business has grown really steadily and you've also got a, to me, one of the most interesting things is you've got a really sort of stable base of annual recurring revenues that lets you do things on top of that. What, uh, so yep. w- what is the status of the business now? What is the main sort of focus of the business now? Yeah. So, so today the way I would describe it, and we can talk about how we got here is that, uh, all right, we have a, we're a software platform that we call the X to answers platform. And it's best understood as a next generation digital experience platform that enables enterprises to use AI to deliver digital experiences, both first party and third party, to customers, partners, employees. I don't know what that means. Yeah, I know, I know. what it means, but I don't know what that means. It sounds like something an MBA yeah. created. But uh, there's more to so, it. <laughs> Give me an example. So, so what happened with the company was we, we evolved from a single point solution around managing listings, which was, which didn't have a lot of AI in it at the time. It was a lot of structure the information and create connectors to the outside world. Right. Um, from there, there are a number of product lines that evolved around dynamically creating entity pages that were all geared for search optimization that were all generated all coming from that same knowledge graph. And the, the big shift was in 2019, we launched search. And these feel like two sort of disconnected businesses, but at the, at the, at the base of it is this idea that better semantic search comes from creating a structured world of authoritative answers that you're using to answer questions. And so, so, you know, what, what holds everything that we do together is this idea on the bottom of a knowledge graph, which is effectively a fancy way to say database that structures information into understandable concepts and then around the same time in 2019, the company made an extraordinary investment in, you know, things that make sense today, like large language models and AI. But at the time, everyone thought we were completely out of our minds. And what kind of customers are, are, are paying for this? Because your customers aren't necessarily Google, right? The, the search engine. I know there are theoretically other search engines. No, our customers are any any significant enterprise. So the way I define it, well, we, we and, and including... Uh, small and mid-sized businesses, although we primarily access those through resellers. 
but our 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 customers are enterprise uh, companies ranging from you know mid-sized enterprises up to the largest companies in the world. And the idea here is that when you when you go and do a search, um, because you have sold your services to a smaller company, smaller than Google, I said, you go to do a Google search and you search for something like who is the CEO of Yext, and rather than get a list of all of the pages that might cite that piece of information. Right at the very top, you get a picture of Michael Walrath and uh, and the name Michael Walrath and a, and a bigger boulder type with a, with a summary of, sure. of of your your that role. That, yeah, that, that's that. Yeah, so that's that's how we were talking about it a couple of years ago because it was hard to talk about uh, about AI. It was hard to talk about large language models and how they were going to change the world. We tried. We tried really hard to get people to think about. Hey, you know, AI and large language models and like understanding the question is going to change the world. And generally the response we got was like, not interested in that. Uh, it seems to me that Google answers most of the questions about my business pretty effectively. Right. And, and so we don't, we don't what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. And, and by the way, think about it. So if, if you're a, a, let's say you're a credit card processing, uh, you know, a large credit card uh, processing company and, uh, you know, interestingly, if you go to some of these some of these companies' websites and you ask a question like, "How do I open a merchant account with XYZ uh, company?" Uh, you know, the company whose website you're on, often they can't answer the question. Right? It's not because they don't know how to answer the question. It's because the the whatever data warehouse holds the answer to that question isn't connected to that 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 the place where the question is being asked. If you then go to Google and you wait, ask wait, the same sorry, question. Explain that again. Yeah. Say, that, say that again. So you're right, so, the, the, the pile of data is separated from the uh, the question asking place? Well, what do you mean? Yeah. And, and again, there's a whole history here around why enterprise search is, is, is so bad, right? Why people's website search is so bad. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that Google chose to get out of that business 20 years ago and they had previously enabled it. And it, you know, so, so, but I don't think we have to do a whole history thing necessarily to make it make sense. The, the reason why there hasn't been a great deal of incentive to make your, the search on your own website work very well is because there's a third party out there who does it really well. And so, you know, if you, if you ask on that, you know, on that large credit card company's site, how do I open a merchant account with this company? And they can't answer the question. The next thing you're going to do, and maybe the first thing you did is you go to Google and you ask the same question. And what you get with Google is a link directly into the page of that company's site that tells you exactly what you're looking for, right? And Google gets paid for that. And they wouldn't have otherwise Some, well, possibly. Sometimes they do and sometimes well. they don't, right? So like often that's the first organic result, but the question is, does the consumer ever get to that organic result? So, but, but again, like part of the reason is that the enterprise hasn't really had to think about this because Google's 90 plus percent of the market and they do it really well, Right. And that's what's changing today. And the, one of the reasons why it's changing is because the, the digital experience is fragmenting. There are far many, you know, there, there's, a, there's a much more diverse set of ways to ask questions and they're going to be a much more diverse set of places to ask questions. And so, so as an enterprise, if you let's don't- put, Let's put a revival of Bing, a possible revival of Bing aside. What, what, were the other, what are the other places that exist now where questions are being asked? Yeah, I, I, I would think less. So, so this is one of the things everyone's, you know, it's, it, there's obviously a lot of zeitgeist around this, this consumer search war and what's coming there. But, but I think the best, if you want to think about it from our customer standpoint, that their digital experiences include third-party experiences like Google, Bing, ChatGPT, 
anywhere else a question, Yelp, anywhere else a question about their business might be being asked. But increasingly, it also in, in, includes an incredible diversity of their own digital experiences. So the, their, their own content, the search box on their website, their customer support forums, chatbots, uh, you know, numeric uh, call centers, right? And, and lots of other ways where there's a digital or semi-digital touch point to the consumer. Apps. All kinds of apps. Apps, sure. Yeah, all sorts of apps. And then and then the endless supply of third parties, right? And so in a world where the digital experience is fragmenting and you start overlaying an AI layer on top of it, things get very complicated for business because where we live today, everybody everybody wants to figure out, well, how do I use this open AI thing, right? Should I use it to enable my own chatbot? Should I use it to enable search on my website? And from a from an enterprise standpoint, putting the consumer search wars aside for a minute, from an enterprise uh, standpoint, there's a tremendous amount of opportunity there and a huge amount of risk, because you're you're basically inviting into your house something that makes up a lot of of bad answers, right? Which we've seen amazing it. Things. So let's talk about this AI. So my my rule of thumb uh, uh, quietly for the last few years is when anyone would say AI and machine learning, I knew they were full of shit. Because they would probably yep. didn't know if there was any difference. They would just wanted to throw yep. those buzzwords in there. But you guys have been yep. using um, the concepts of machine learning to produce results in artificial intelligence for quite a while right now. Um, interestingly, yes. I don't, I don't, I'd argue you haven't participated in the buzz lately um, uh, around AI. That may be a temporary yep. thing since you're actually doing the work. But what, what do you make of what's happening now with this? I, I find really remarkable interest in in artificial intelligence. All of a sudden, artificial intelligence, which has been, you know, a central part of computing for most computing for five or ten years, people have been working really hard on this. Yeah, yeah. We, I mean, we we've been working on this for a very long time, and frankly, you know, we we've taken a lot of uh, heat for the type of investment that we've made in this. Um, with, with you know, with, with less than we would would have liked to show for it. I think, you know, like many things, you know, four years too early feels a lot like wrong and looks a lot like wrong. Um, and so, you know, but what we're seeing today is that what's what's changed everything is that people have found a way to make, to, to you know, ChatGPT allowed you to experience AI, right? And so even though most people don't understand what it's actually doing and that it's something of a parlor trick, now everyone can experience it. Every CEO in the world can experience AI firsthand by asking AI to write, you know, write a biography of Corey Johnson, right? And this is where it gets really interesting, right? Because if you ask AI to write a biography of Corey Johnson, it will either not know anything about you, which is a bit of a, of a shot, but if it doesn't have access to the, <laughs> to the open web, um, or I've taken some shots. It's okay. Yeah, it may, it may I mean, it's, it's going to be a shot to me too. You know, hopefully there's not too much about me out there that has been, that AI has been trained on. But, you know, the other thing it might do is just make up, make something up. And this is where, this is where the, the, the wow factor and the scary factor for the enterprise come together. Because this is what we saw in that fantastic Kevin Rouse piece last week in the New York Times, where he was pushing the limits of the, of the chatbot to say things that it didn't want to say. And it was making up answers to make him happy, like talking about creating viral uh, viruses and hacks and, and getting him to break up with his wife and stuff. And it was... It was just, it was this fascinating, creepy yeah. article. Yeah. I'm sure you read the piece. Uh, I thought it was yeah, remarkable. It's, I mean, it, 
it's yeah, it's remarkable. It's 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 amazing. It's scary. It, it helps to understand what's actually happening there, which is it's just putting one word after the other, right? It has no idea. So the idea is that you saying. guys are spoon feeding uh, information to uh, potential chat bots, so that when yeah. they're looking for information to compile about a company or a business, that information is readily available well, and to be handed yeah. off to them. Yeah. So, so back to the idea of a structured and unstructured knowledge graph, right? So if, if, if I gave you the option, I said, Corey, uh, AI can write your, your, uh, uh, write your biography based on all of the information that's, that's available about you on the web, or you can, you can put every piece of, you know, hand, handpicked, you can put all of your emails, all of your photos, all of your, you know, any, any articles ever written about you that you like, you can put them all into a database and you can train the AI on, AI on that. Which one do you think would write a biography that you liked better? Probably the latter, right? Most likely the latter. And so, so the, the trick, and now to, to bring it back to, to the way businesses have to think about this, is that I want all the, uh, I want all the opportunity of AI, but I don't want you know, a random AI answering really important questions about my business, like, you know, that range from where's the nearest coffee shop that serves a mocha latte to tell me about the history of XYZ company, including any, any PR, PR uh, messes or controversies. You'd prefer to answer that second question. And actually you'd prefer to answer both of those questions yourself from your own set of authoritative data. Well, and, and back again, so, you know, all of the pictures of me, are not the ones I want the biography based on all of the, you know, you, you want to be able to pick the things that you want. I, this is, I, I remember talking to Jeff Weiner a million years ago about the difference between LinkedIn and Facebook. And he said, LinkedIn is for your professional world. Facebook is for your keg stands. We've all got keg yep. stands in our past. We prefer our professional um, social media um, uh, persona, not have that. Um, I would imagine the same obviously for, for corporations. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's that's an apt analogy. You you would prefer as a company, you you have a responsibility. You know, you start to start to think about what this means for drug manufacturers, right? When you know questions about specific uh, you know pharmaceuticals are being answered, right? Uh, there, there's think about it from a healthcare provider standpoint, um, specialists from financial advisors, lots of regulated industries. AI is very very scary in an industry where you're not controlling the information that the AI is learning to answer the questions. It's fascinating. So in the midst of this, you guys, uh, I told you we wanted to talk about where your company is right now. You just did a, a giant round of layoffs. You're probably still in the midst of it. You announced a um, take going from, well, 20% of the company going from 1400 to 1100 people. I'm going to call well, it Well, yeah, we, we, yeah, just to be, to be fair, we, we laid off uh, approximately 8% of our team, which is always an incredibly difficult thing to do. Yeah. The 23% was the reduction uh, over the course of the last year. And that was predominantly okay. not done through layoffs. That was you um, know, done and, through a and series big of- change in your sales staff and who's selling, yep. what's selling. Obviously you are, you haven't been the CEO forever. You've been the CEO for a little over a year um, coming yep. in from chairman, being so familiar with the company. You're going through a lot of, uh, um, uh, as my, my old friend, Carlo Canell, uh, hedge fund manager would say, it is possible to change the fan belt whilst the engine runs, but it's not easy. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's really hard. I mean, we're, you know, we, we've, we've, uh, we've, we've uh, swapped out CEO, CFO, CMO, and CRO in the last uh, 300 and, you know, 40 days or so. Um, we, uh, we, we've reduced the number of executives in the company from something like 18 to something like 10. 
Um, and as you know, as you pointed out, we've reduced the headcount by about 23%, um, primarily organically, um, although we, we did do some restructuring at the end of January, which is always difficult. Um, what we are today is a much healthier company financially and operationally than we were a year ago um, in front of an, just an absolutely enormous market opportunity at a time when there's a lot of, you know, macro challenge and noise in the market. So it's a, it's an incredibly complex environment. And, you know, if you were a, you know, a, a little, you know, if you're, if you're crazy like us, you think it's a really interesting operating environment. And you're also in the midst of a, of a sizable, at least you've got the opportunity for a sizable share buyback as well. Uh, yeah, well, we've been uh, we've been buying shares actively uh, all year. I'm, I won't quote numbers because I'll be wrong, but it's all in our latest filing, and we'll update that in a couple of weeks here with with earnings, um, which I expect this will be after that. So I can't yeah. get myself in too much trouble. Well, I won't get you in trouble for that. Um, uh, I'm also curious about you know inbound. Is inbound really changed with potential customers with this um, sudden interest in AI and and Chat GPT in particular? Yeah, look, I I think it's impossible for the enterprise not to pay attention to AI. And the deeper you go down this rabbit hole as a CEO or a CIO or a CMO, any 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 senior member of a management team, you have you have to begin to understand the risks of it alongside the opportunities of it. And both are enormous. Um, And so, you know, the, the way we think of ourselves is that, you know, we we've spent the last four years building enterprise class applications to allow you to take advantage of the benefits of AI without uh, inheriting all the risks that come with it. So uh, again, how do you, how do you get that, that message out to potential clients? I guess doing a <laughs> well, podcast yeah. like this one. Obviously. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I think it's a, you know, it's a, it's an interesting one because I think if, if, if it would actually be easier if we were a, a startup coming out of stealth mode, you know, because we have this $400 million ARR business that, you know, is largely not, not entirely, but largely, uh, you know, made up of, you know, what, what people refer to as the, the, for, the prior, you know, the, the listings business and which are, which is, is AI enabled. We use lots of AI to enable the way that we structure the information and things like that, but it's not, it's not chat GPT like, so people aren't thinking of it that way today. Uh, it, it is a, it's a marketing challenge because the, the platform company we've become isn't how a lot of the market, uh, knows us. And we're, we're going to need to, you know, uh, you know, we, we ran Reese who we hired as our CMO, who's going to do an amazing job of making, of solving that problem. That's her, that's what she was hired to do. And, and why has that ARR been kind of flat for over a year? It's been just under $400 million, again, really flat for more than a year. Well, so this is why I said, you know, when you, when you are early, it looks a lot like wrong. Right. So, you know, we, this company has a history of big pivots. So we've done three of them. Right. The third, the, the first two were full pivots. The second one was a, was a part of the last one. Sorry, this most recent one about four years ago was a kind of a partial pivot. Um, but, you know, when you invest in a trend that you think is coming, which is everybody's going to really care deeply about AI and it doesn't work out, what you get is what we saw, which is revenue deceleration. Right. And so, you know, what we've had to do is come to terms with the fact that, you know, that the investment was significant, the acceleration that was expected didn't, didn't come about. Thankfully, we didn't, we didn't abandon the project because we'd be sitting here today wondering why we gave up on something that's at the center of one of the biggest uh, trends out there. Um, and so, but that's, that's really what it is, is like, you know, early looks like wrong. Uh, indeed. 
Um, uh, well, uh, certainly the opportunity for AI is here, and we're glad to have you explain uh, uh, the possibilities there uh, for EX because it's such an interesting story. And yeah, maybe the time has come. Um, and maybe, uh, you know, uh, the possibilities of AI are better than uh, a, a, a George Santos-like uh, resume. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah, let's hope so, right? Which if you do, a, if you do ask Chat GPT to write a biography for Corey Johnson, it, it's very George Santos-like. There are college degrees I didn't have and companies I didn't start, and it looks very exciting. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess that's the pos- the possibility is it could be better, right? But <laughs> you know that it's it's a bit of a roll of the dice. There's no Brazilian crimes uh, alleged in my fake there you go. bio from Chat GPT. Michael Warworth, he really is the CEO of Yext. Thanks for your time. I appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks, Corey. Thanks for having us on. All right, coming up next on the Drill Down Podcast, one number that tells us a whole lot about Yext right after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era. With Era, give yourself an information advantage, connect directly to earnings calls and other investor events with live transcription and event intelligence. That's Era, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And we're so grateful for your listening to the Drill Down Podcast. Let some other people know why you like the show. Leave a review for us on the Apple Podcast app where others can discover us and enjoy the Drill Down Podcast for themselves. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Instagram and Twitter by following at Drill Down Pod and check out our website. Directly connect with us there at bizpod.net. We're back with the Drill Down Podcast, the number of the uh, company that, let me try that again, three, two. We are back with the Drill Down Byte, that one number that tells us a whole lot about Yext. Isaac, I was going to tell you about the uh, the size of the uh, the ARR, the, uh, the annual recurring revenues that this company has uh, waiting for it. Uh, but I, you know, he talked about that a little bit. It's about $389 million dollars. Uh, which helps, you know, when people look at the company, try to understand how the, how the business works, knowing that they've got $390 million essentially owed to them for work that hasn't been done yet, helps put a kind of floor on the revenues. But uh, inspired by that conversation, I did a search, or I did a chat GPT uh, query, and I asked chat GPT to write a biography of Corey Johnson. And, and um, what did so you So the find? number, the bite is, how many demonstrably false facts are in the uh, six-paragraph biography, seven-paragraph biography chat GPT has written about me. Huh. Out of six paragraphs, I would say maybe two? Uh, Let's call it ten. (laughs) Now, there is a lot about me on the internet, not just like the social media things that normal people would have on there. You know, my job, no, sorry, ten? I take it back. Let's make it 14. Um, uh, there's lots of stuff out there uh, on the internet. Some that's easy to find, some that's not easy to find, but like Wikipedia entries and things that I have as my professional career as a broadcaster and so on. But according to this thing, I was born in a city and state that I was not born in. I was born in both a, a, a date and year that I was not born in. Um, uh, the small town that I grew up in. Did you know it's Clear Lake, Iowa? Oh, yeah. I've always wondered. I knew we had something in common. <laughs> I didn't know that. I, I didn't. I didn't know that I went to UC Boulder. I did know that I was editor in chief of a school newspaper, but it sure as hell wasn't the Colorado Daily. Nor did I ever work for the Wall Street Journal. Here's the exciting George Santos-like moment. Yes, Isaac. Apparently, and unbeknownst to me, I won a Peabody Award for my coverage of Hurricane Katrina. 
That's fantastic. Wow. See? Which was really hard to do because I was sitting in a, in the desk of a trading desk of a secret hedge fund in San Francisco, watching Hurricane Katrina on the little TV in our office, which is an I unlikely wanna, place to win a Peabody award. But I want to believe in that Peabody though. Let's, let's just um, manifest about Miami that. award for a documentary about the financial crisis. Yeah, I, I believe it. Hey, I'd rather believe that than the truth. Which Did is you know that nothing. I started a venture capital fund called Next Street Ventures? <gasps> no, wow. Or that I'm on the board of directors of Motif Investing and Nuzzle. Well, let's just say the technology has a ways to go. But the singularity time will happen. I'm representing New York's third district in Congress. <laughs> All right, that's it for the Drill Down Podcast. We are so grateful for your time. I'm Corey Johnson. Really, I really am. Even though some of the facts about me are to determine. Isaac Webster is our executive producer. And this extraordinary editing job has been done by Ben Wilson. The Drill Down is a production of the Business Podcast Network.